Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. There's three or four things I need to do before we address the subject at hand. <clears throat> All over the building, you will see copies of this booklet. Ultimately, we want everybody to have one. It's free. And we want you to fill it out. It, it'll take you a little, oh, maybe 15 minutes per lesson. And uh, because we want everybody here to have one and fill it out. And then all new, anybody, all newcomers who are transferring in from another church or all new converts will agree to, to uh, do the same thing. We'll give it to them because these are just the fundamentals of the faith. Just the, it, it, it's all about who is God and, and who is Jesus and, and who is the Holy Spirit. It's these fundamentals that we want everybody to know. And uh, it's, uh, it's not at all sectarian. It's just very, very fundamental. And then mm, probably in June or maybe even this fall, there will be a second one that we'll provide for you. What it does, and the intention is to get each of you to the place where that if you're asked a question about the fundamentals, about who Jesus is, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Bible's about, that you can give a simple explanation that is in, that's exactly what the Bible says. And uh, everybody needs to do it. That's one of the issues here uh, that I wanted to mention to you. Uh, the other, a couple other things, this coming Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, the men's Bible study is going to start again, and we would like for you fellows to take the time. There's magnificent fellowship, a few more donuts to help you keep your weight up, and uh, all that good stuff. That's at 8 o'clock here at the church building on Saturday morning. One of the, I don't know whether he's here or not, but every once in a while, somebody gets recognition and that I think we need to admit, at least to mention. Uh, is Mike Irwin here? Stand up, Mike. He's not very big, so he needs to stand. Mike was, <laughs> Mike was just uh, given the, um, the recognition of being the outstanding state patrolman at the local post. Now, take this word of advice and hope he isn't listening. If there's anybody in the area that you want to stay on the good side of, it's a patrolman at the local post. You don't, you don't want to blow that one. And so act excited even if you're faking it. It'll be to your, to your benefit. I could tell a tale or two here, but I won't. Okay. Um, I think that's all I was supposed to say that I agreed to. <clears throat> We're talking about a subject <clears throat> that uh, initially it was just assigned to me, the gospel in Isaiah. Well, that would take a month. So I cut it down, and instead of using the word gospel, I used the translation, which simply is good news. And I went to the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. A prophet was the precursor to what a preacher is today. Uh, 
most of what he did was preaching. And nearly all of the messages were essentially the same. It essentially said, if you don't get your act together, if you don't live right, if you don't uh, give your allegiance solely to the true and the living God, this is what's going to happen, and it ain't good. So they, they were, that, that was the message that they had, and, and they were not generally, uh, the poor people usually heard them well, but the snoots uh, gave them a really hard time. Isaiah, if I recall correctly, and don't hold my feet to the fire on this one, but I believe tradition says that Isaiah, even though he was a court prophet much of the time, which means he was around, that he, he wasn't a poor guy, but I think the tradition says that he was actually sawed in two. Ain't a good way to go. So the point being this, the spokesman for God all through history, whether it's a preacher today, if he doesn't deal with the true issues, if he just wants to build a crowd and be popular, that's one thing. But in the scripture, something anybody who would do that would be viewed as a false prophet. And a false prophet, if he went to court, was to be stoned to death. If it would be proved that he was a false prophet, he would be stoned to death. And one of the funny things about that that happened through the years, Dick Didway helped start our church here. He's a godly guy. And, and Dick got into the prophecy stuff. And because I don't think the position of prophecy exists anymore because 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians simply says then prophecies will go away. So I'm not real big on people who say, claim they're a prophet. Uh, but anyway, Dick got into that and he, he made a prophecy about something that was going to happen that didn't happen. And then just having fun, we got together and found him guilty and we were going to stone him. And we got us a bunch of paper that looked like stones, you know, and threw at him just to have fun. Isaiah, uh, in this 53rd chapter, I have selected five things. And if you look at your outline, and you really need one today to be able to follow along. If you don't, just go back there and get you one. A, bu a bulletin has the outline. You will see, <clears throat> I've selected, there are more, but for the sake of time, I only picked five predictions or prophecies that Isaiah made relative to who the Messiah would be. Now, he didn't have the, when, when Isaiah put this down, he didn't have the foggiest idea of what God was, was predicting. He honestly didn't. He, he may have speculated, for you see, a prophet was a guy that God chose and said, look, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And if you were, uh, for instance, there are several different passages I could pick for you, but if you <clears throat> just look in the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah, when he selected Jeremiah, and he was another one of these guys that had a tough road to hoe <clears throat> because he was telling Israel to repent. But if you just uh, look at what he had written there, you know, he says, uh, 
in verse 9, chapter 1, he said, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I will put my words in your mouth. So what he was preaching and what he wrote down was what God had given him. That's the reason the Bible is referred to as the word of... Can you say it out loud? Yeah, you, you get there. You'll need, you'll need to help me a little before I get through here because every once in a while I've got to take a snort. <clears throat> That's when, you know, you can figure out, get your turn if you're brave enough. Now, <clears throat> what I want to do, if you look at that on the left-hand column, you will see five passages from the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. And then underneath of each one of these, you will see a reference in the New Testament. The reference in the New Testament is a record of, of history that actually took place. The reference in the Old Testament there is what he is saying will take place if and when the Messiah comes. He did not know that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. He probably thought it was David resurrected or who knows what. So I want us to look at those things here this morning. You need to understand that Isaiah lived and died 700 years before Jesus was born. So, and I'm, what I'm claiming and I'm arguing this morning is that if you can 700 years before an event takes place, if you can tell exactly who it's going to be and what's going to happen, and the, and the historical record proves that it's true, I'm saying that this is the, one of the, if not the most, impressive ways of proving that the Bible is absolutely true and the Word of God. I get a little disturbed at times. Not often, but at times, I get disturbed at what looks to me like Christian lethargy. The word lethargy means kind of lazy back and doing nothing. And my claim is that if you really believed what I'm trying to prove today, I don't think you could keep quiet about it. I'm not talking about making a fool out of yourself, but when exciting things happen. You know, there was some excitement this week. Those of you who love athletics, which is, after all, the God of our day, you know, Ohio State beat Duke, and Duke beat Kentucky. That's a miracle couple of them you know if you're into that kind of nonsense now Kentucky in a couple of weeks is going to play Ohio State and 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 the righteousness will be restored but you know <laughs> but, but 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 what happens when something like that takes place what's the next thing you do hey did you hear that Ohio State beat Duke or did you hear that that I won't say this very loud that Michigan beat Ohio State I mean, that, you can't, that's what everybody talks about. And that ain't nothing compared to what I'm getting ready to say happened. When a guy 700 years ahead of time predicted with precision the who, what, and where of what would take place. 
How can you keep quiet about that? So let's just look at it for a minute. So I called it my no spin zone. This, that old Riley guy got in my head years ago. I, I think he's, he had a fast zipper and got him in trouble. But that's a, I liked his term there anyway. Now we're in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And he starts that chapter by saying, Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He said, really, I'm the preacher. Ain't nobody listening. I can't help but at times feel the same way. People are nice enough to sit through it. But are they really hearing what we're saying? Then, so I want to look at verse 7 and 8, go on down. And I'm just selecting now to save time because we really don't have time to take it a, a statement at a time. Starting at verse 7, he says this. He, meaning the Messiah that would be coming, whoever he was, and he didn't know. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So what he was really saying is this Messiah is going to be brought before his accusers, and he isn't going to say, he's not going to respond to the accusations. He's just going to stand there and say nothing. So what we do, you see, is then we look, go to the 27th chapter of the book of Matthew in the New Testament. And I, if you got them both, just kind of put your thumb in one and hold the other one. Because we're going to be bouncing back and forth between the 20, 53rd chapter of Isaiah and the, 20th, and the 27th chapter here. And so... Here in verse 12, he says, okay, here's where Judas has already hanged himself. Jesus is under arrest, and accusations are being made against him, primarily by the chief priest and some other people. Starting at verse 12, 27th chapter of Matthew, which is a historical record of what took place. What Isaiah said was a prediction of what was going to take place. Here's what really happened. When he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of Pilate, the governor. So what I want you to look at here is that... Uh, we're going to take five situations just like that. Jesus had been arrested, brought before Pilate a couple of times, really, and, uh, and was accused of sedition and so on and so forth, which, which really means stirring up crowds and causing a problem that the politicians don't like. And so he was accused of that, and, and, and he just stood there, made no reply which was exactly what Isaiah had predicted 700 years before. Now let's look at verse 9. We'll go through five of these, and we'll keep moving along. Verse 9 says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. In other words, when he died, he was associated with evil folks, and when he was buried, rich people were involved. Now, where, where, where do we go from here? We go to the historical record, back to the 27th chapter of the book of Matthew. 
Matthew's just recording what took place as he observed it there. And, and here we're over into the 57th verse because this is a, a lengthy chapter. And here's what it says. As evening approached, okay, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. The Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown. You, you estimate it's 6 o'clock, but it's actually at sundown on Friday evening. The Jewish Sabbath is over at sundown on Saturday evening. The first day of the week as we know it to the Jew began at sundown on Saturday evening. And so Jesus was hanging on the cross and... Uh, and the people who really loved him and were concerned about him but knew better than to interfere with the Roman law because the Romans were intolerant. But they went to Pilate and said, he's dead now, can, can we have his body? And Pilate agreed they could have his body. These were actually influential people in Judaism. Well, here's, here's the way that it reads. Now, remember what I just said. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Now, here's the historical record. Once Pilate gave the body to the people who requested it, <clears throat> this is recorded starting at verse 57 in Matthew 27. As evening approached... See, the Jews didn't want him hanging there over the weekend. The people who loved him didn't want him hanging there. It really, it was just to feed the buzzards. There came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And then Joseph took the body and prepared it to put it in the tomb. Now, I have a copy. The tombs of the wealthy were interesting. If you ever get to go to Israel or if you have been there, you will know that outside of the Damascus wall of the wall city of Jerusalem, up about a hundred yards up straight up the street when you come out the gate, there is a sign there that says the garden tomb. Now this garden tomb that's there isn't the same one Jesus was put in, but it is as close as we can get it, an exact duplicate of what that thing looked like. You have to kind of bow down to get into the into the because this thing has been chiseled out of solid limestone. And you can see the chisel marks all over of where they have you know, chopped it. Who knows how long it took or how much money it took to do it. And then on one side, as soon as you step in, there's a place that's been chiseled out that's probably about five foot long that looks like you could put a small mattress on it where, you could, where the body was laid. And usually what they did is they chiseled out at least four different places where the bodies could be laid. And then outside of it, probably that was about this thick, about eight inches thick, and probably seven foot tall, was a big old round thing that looks like a wheel that could be rolled over to seal the tomb. 
one person could never move it. You need to keep that in mind as we study further here. The guy who did had that thing chiseled for himself and his family was a rich man named Joseph of Arimath from Arimathea. And he begged his body, and he took that body of Jesus, wrapped it in linen, prepared it, and put it in that tomb, and then the Romans sealed it. Isaiah had said 700 years before it happened that a rich man was going to go ask for Jesus' body. It would be given to him, and he would prepare it and put it in his tomb. Let's keep going. It gets better as it goes. Here in the 12th verse of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, he's saying, he's making this prediction that when the Messiah, whoever he was, because he, he didn't know it would be Jesus, when the Messiah comes and he's killed, he will die with sinners. Now, most of you already know how this, where this was going. Here's what he says in verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he, and he will divide his spoils. We'll talk about that with the strong. Because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. The transgressors means sin is described as a transgression of the law. So a transgressor is a guy that has broken the law. Those are the guys that Mike gives little pieces of paper to. He's never given me one, but I did get two in one day, like years ago. So I was one of those transgressors. That, uh, but I, now, so what we do here is Matthew is recording what happens with Jesus. And so we, we look at it here in the 53rd, uh, from the, back to the 27th chapter again. And we look at two different places here. Let's look at verse, start at verse 38. We may read the whole thing. Starting at verse 38, it says, Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, save yourself, ha, ha, ha. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Now, verse 44 says, and we'll skip some just to save time. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with Jesus also heaped insults on him. So Jesus is dying with at least a couple of other thieves. How, did, how could an old preacher... 700 years before it happened, get that so precisely correct. The answer was, God revealed it to him and put the words in his mouth and he copied it on paper. In my humble opinion, there's nothing that could ever happen or has happened that gives more credibility to the integrity of the Bible as the inspired, authoritative word of God. As, as fulfilled prophecy. Now Jesus died with these two guys. And finally one of them repented. But Matthew talked about that earlier. Let's look at another one here. This is, and look how precise this is now. 
Here again, we're still in that 12th verse when he said, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't have any money. You know who, t- you, see, the, the, the group that followed Jesus, the apostles that he was teaching, had a common purse. You know who kept the purse? Judas. And the Bible says that Judas had been dipping into it, you know. He was a thief too, among other things. But when Jesus died on the cross, he only had one or two things of any value at all. He had an outer garment and an inner garment. And that one garment was very expensive because it had been woven and, uh, from top to bottom by somebody who really cared for him. It had no seams in it, and it, it was an expensive piece of, 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 of clothing. And what, took, what, what happened when Jesus died was the people that killed him, the Roman soldiers, said, hey, this is worth something. But we can't tear it up or it loses its value. So here's what they did. This is verse 35 here in the 27th chapter. Get my little finger going here. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. In northern Kentucky term, it would be they shot craps in order to see who would end up with this expensive garment. Now, don't get carried away with the fact that these are soldiers were down underneath the cross casting lots. That's not the issue here at all. The issue is that a prophet 700 years ahead of time said, this is what's going to happen. That's the issue. Well, we ain't done yet. In that same chapter, in that same 53rd chapter, he makes a prediction. I'll read the prediction here. This is the fifth one on your outline. The Messiah made intercession for the transgressors. Now, there's two possibilities here. One that probably comes to your mind first is the one I don't agree with, even though it's a possibility. The one that comes to our mind first when we think of this is when the, the thief looked at him and said, you know, when, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus responded to him and said, what? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The word paradisios means a garden of bliss. See, I think that the Garden of Eden was removed and put in Hades so that the believers went to paradise, back to the Garden of Eden. Now, not many people in, the, in my realm who study these things necessarily agree with me, but when they get to heaven, Jesus will tell them better. All right, here's the deal. Jesus made intercession for his transgressors. See, I think he's talking about the people that actually killed him. These are the transgressors that I see. I don't see that necessarily as the thief, even though it should, it might possibly include him. But so I, I made reference to both of them here in Matthew and uh, Luke. You have to go to Luke for this one, the 23rd chapter of Luke, to find 
And Luke was a historian, and he was a doctor by profession. And so here we are, and, and start, go down to verse 34. This is what I think, he, who I think he was talking about. He said, uh, in verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. See, I think he's talking about the people who are killing him here. These guys don't know what they're doing. Now, it was later on when uh, the thief said in verse 42, if you look at it, in your, if you have your Bible with you, when and Jesus said, and the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then verse 43 says, and Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, these are the five things that I selected from the 53rd chapter that are historically predicted and historically recorded to be perfectly accurate. And so my claim is this is sufficient, and this is just one of hundreds of predictions. We could get into the virgin birth. We could get, you know, but I'm claiming that you have in your hands the very words that God spoke to his people and they recorded for our benefit. We are really fortunate folks. Now, the next few minutes, next 20 or, 20 or so minutes, we're going to talk about what's recorded here and how that should directly affect you and me of what was recorded there that was proved by the historical record as, transpired, as, as transcribed by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So pay close attention. What we're looking at here is if someone were to ask you, all right, that all be true, so what? Well, the so what is all of this has a direct ref reflection on your life and mine here today. So let's look at these next five things that I've recorded here that are directly reflect. One, the Messiah, Jesus, get this now, has assumed total responsibility for our transgressions. Now, this doesn't make sense to, to critics of how anybody could say, I know what you birds have done. I'm just not talking about the worst of you. I'm talking about all of you. I'm saying that whatever the penalty for your sin is, I'm going to pay it. Now, if we go back to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, listen to verse 5 as he addresses this because these are the things that affect you and me. Verse 5 says, But he, meaning the Messiah, was pierced, for our transgressions. Now we need to stop there just for a second. When he's talking about being pierced. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And the day was getting close to, to the beginning of the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath they didn't do anything. And a Roman soldier in order to expedite Jesus' death did something. He took that spear and rammed in under his left rib. And penetrated what was probably the orator, and, and blood and water flowed out. Now, there's a theological thing here that you need to know, too. 
And it has to do with the fact that we're going to see here in just a minute that, that, that this had to do with uh, uh, Jesus becoming an offering. But we'll, this is further down. We'll get to it. Now, here's the background so that you'll understand the meaning of blood and water flowing. And there are medical reasons that can be explained for this, but I don't have time for that. I can't pronounce some words anyway. If you brought, if, I, if you were to go to the uh, temple or to the tabernacle and you brought, say, a sheep to be offered for your sins and transgressions, you would give it to the priest. Now, and then he would take it through a curtain where you couldn't go. That was the inner sanctum where only the priest could go. He would go in there and take that lamb and hang it and then cut its throat for it to bleed out. Now, once that, babe, that lamb had, had bled out and, and uh, the skin was taken off and it was prepared then, some of, it, some of the meat was put in a cauldron there. In order to prepare for the next offering, there was a great tank of water. It had hundreds of gallons of water in it. He'd take it, to, his helpers would take a bucket and they would throw it down because there was a trench that ran from the, inner, from the place where they bled out the animals all the way to the outside, right past where the guy was standing that brought the offering. So the blood would go down into the trench and they would take the water and flush it on. And when the water and the blood came walk down that trench, passed for the place of the guy who had taken the offering, he knew that his offering had been taken and received. Now that's important to keep in your mind because what the guy would say is, hey, it's finished, it's been offered, and it's been received. When Jesus died on the cross and blood and water was recorded as having come from the pierced side, it was an announcement to the world what? That the offered Jesus as an offering had been accepted and received. Who was it offered to? Offered to God. For what reason? For your sins and mine. That's what he's saying. Verse 6 actually says that... Uh, the Messiah Jesus volunteered to take the punishment for our iniquities. He volunteered. You remember when Jesus was going to the cross and, and he, he said, Hey, look, they're not taking me to the cross. I'm choosing the cross. I could call legions of angels. The, the, the army of God. I could call the army of God and they would come by the legions to take me away if I desired it. I'm here because I choose to in order to be a blessing to people who will put their faith in God. Let's read what the prophet predicted and then we'll look at the record of it. Jesus volunteered. This is verse 6. The prophet says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And that's the way we are, isn't it? Nobody, don't tell me what to do. I'll do as I please. 
And the Lord laid, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the sins, when Jesus goes to the cross, he goes there volunteering to bear the penalty for your sins and mine. And, and the, in the New Testament, one of his disciples, who's usually the primary spokesman, Peter, in, the first, in 1 Peter, there's two, two, two different books that Peter wrote, here in the second chapter, uh, down to what, what, verse 24, says this. He himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. I wouldn't have translated it that way because there are times when the word thanatos is used, it, it, it can mean death but it can also mean separation because what happens in death, you're separated from your body. And so the word death is often used. I think it should be translated this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might be separated from our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Let's go to the third one. The ministry of Jesus, the Messiah, secu secures peace between God and his people. You see, sin is something God cannot tolerate to be around. He just simply chooses this is something that I cannot tolerate. So what he and so that that tension from the Garden of Eden until the cross, there was tension between God and people. And he would send prophets to tell them they wouldn't pay attention to the prophets. They killed them, most of them. If you read carefully in the book of Hebrews. Peace means that this tension. I don't, have you ever gone into a house where the husband and wife had just before, the, just before you knocked on the door had had holy war? And you walk into the house, I don't know how to describe it, but you feel, I ain't comfortable here. There's something going on. I mean, you might get a hint by the fact that the husband's face is redder than spank baby's behind. That might give you a clue. But, you know, you, you sense that tension. That's the kind of thing that has, has transpired between God and people for thousands of years. From the garden up until the time of the cross. And the problem was God loves these folks anyway. They weren't able to live up to the law. They needed help. And is there anything more blissful than to see people just enjoy being with one another? I mean, look, look forward to being with one another. Now, there are times when you don't. Alice Kay mentioned the other day, she said, the kids are not coming for Thanksgiving. I said, thank you, Lord. And, 
She said, but they're all coming for Christmas. I said, where are we going? Gives you kind of a hint how you handle that kind of stuff. She looks so she looks so forward to seeing that bunch of hoodlums come in. They eat everything. It's like a plague. Everything in the house is gone, and they still want money in an envelope. I mean, how you could look forward to that has to be angelic. It cannot be anything that's really human. But I'm telling you, mothers do that, and the guy has to fake it. So you go along with it. There you sleep by yourself, you know, heck with that. So, but, but this is, God, God chooses to have that peaceful relationship with his people. And so he's saying, you know, I can do something about it, and therefore I will. The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest preacher in the history of the church, addresses this very subject, believe it or not, in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is generally agreed. I've never had a teacher that would argue with the fact that the book of Romans is the greatest theological treatise that was ever written. The first verse says this. You remember I've told you, whenever the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, he means, give me your ears. Set up and listen. This is important. Verse, five, uh, t- verse 1 of chapter 5, book of Romans says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace with God means that we're on speaking terms. The tension is gone. And we have direct access to the living God through Jesus Christ. Number four. The Messiah, Jesus, qualified as a perfect sacrifice, a guilt offering. Okay. And you need to note, pay attention to the fact that in the fifth chapter of the book of Leviticus, there is a description of a guilt offering. So what is a guilt offering? A guilt offering is the offering you bring and offer to the priest for your, to be offered for sins that you accidentally, unintentionally committed. See, we have a tendency to think sometimes, well, I, I was wrong Uh, But I didn't do it on purpose. You were wrong. My kids have always come to me with that. I said, here's the deal. I'm sorry. I I just, I made a mistake. You got that right. Now, take off my belt and let's get on with it here. You're still guilty. Still guilty. And see, back when the world was true and, and normal, we could take our belt off and whop them on the hind end, and everything was great. They felt better, and we sure did. You know, that old idea that, uh, you know, this is going to hurt me worse than you, that ain't true. <laughs> it's not so. So, if you go back to the 53rd chapter, here's what he says. Look at it carefully, and this is in verse 9. He says this, 
Uh, no, I think I'm wrong there. Let's see. Let me look again. Keep on going here. No, it's verse 10. That's what I'm looking at. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. That's on the cross. And though... Though the Lord makes his life, and and through that, the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. So the things that we did that were sinful, even though unintentionally, through through the weakness of the flesh in most instances. You remember Peter making an excuse, and Jesus said what? You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so... Because of the weakness of the flesh, not any evil intent, we still did the wrong thing. Still had to be paid for. And Jesus became the guilt offering to pay for that too. So what he was really saying is, I've covered it all. The things you did on purpose, the things you did accidentally, the things you did, I on the cross have taken care of that. You're free from the penalty of the sins that you've committed regardless of how it happened. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a word here. I wanna, there's something here in, that I want to make mention of just because it kind of stuck in my crawl. It's not directly related to anything other than the fact that this kind of stuck in my crawl. In the, at, the, in, at the end of the ninth verse, if you were to look at that, it said... Nor was there any deceit in his mouth. If there's anything that is a compliment to Jesus, it was that statement. And you say, well, what is, is deceit worse than anything else? Well, heck yeah. Have you ever been deceived? It's heartbreaking. And who in the scripture is referred to as the deceiver? It's the devil himself. So what he's really saying here is deceit people. When you're you're consciously deceiving somebody of something, you're just being the devil. But when you follow Jesus, it's 180. I just wanted to mention that because there is, I've been on the, on the receiving. I, I, I'm kind of a guy that's kind of naive when it comes to trusting people I like. And, and when the rug is pulled out from under you, you just want to die. It is so painful. One more then and we get ready to close this thing down because we, okay. Here's what he said. God's justice has been satisfied the required penalty for sin has been completely paid. Here in the 11th verse, here's the way it reads as Isaiah predicted it. He said, After the suffering of his soul, meaning Jesus on the cross, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Satisfaction here indicates that what I intended to do has been accomplished to our satisfaction. That's how we use the word, isn't it? Satisfaction. 
Now, this is addressed in the marvelous book in the New Testament, one of my favorite books. And for some reason, people run from it like the plague because it really takes an effort to teach it, is the book of Hebrews. And here in the 10th chapter, verse, uh, what, 14, isn't it? He actually addresses that very subject by saying this. Starting at verse 14, because of one sacrifice he has made perfect, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That means growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus. No deceit, becoming more like Jesus instead of more like the devil. Now, there is a word here that I would translate differently again. This isn't wrong, but I think for clarity's sake, there's a better way to do it. If I were translating it, it would read thusly. Because of one sacrifice he has made, he has made perfect forever. That word perfect in the Greek word literally means complete. Nothing lacking. Does that make sense? King James and others translate it perfection. I, think, I know the intent is right, but I think for clarity's sake it's better that it's, it's, it's complete. It's done right. And that's what he's really saying. He's saying when Jesus went to the cross, he did it one time. And it was absolutely, they wanted to say perfect. I'm saying it, it completed what God had planned for the salvation of mankind. So what he's saying here, Jesus paid for it. God said, okay, this is the requirement. Mankind said, we don't have the wherewithal to do it. So God provided the requirement that completely satisfied what he had said was necessary for the payment of our sins. You don't have to add a thing to what God has done, what Jesus has done on the cross for your salvation. You just claim it as a free gift that's already been paid for. I think it's really exciting to have things Free, it's paid for. You know, I was, Hickey's is one of my favorite restaurants in the world. And Suge and I are good friends. We've been friends for years. And Suge is a little unique. Three different, in three different sessions that I had gone for lunch. And when I got ready to go pay, somebody had paid for it. One time, went back, next, she said, it's been paid for. Third time, it's been paid. And I was came there, and we went in and sat down. Suge got up on a chair and said, Scott's here again. Who's going to pay for it today? <laughs> and a good Catholic boy lifted his hands. You know? <laughs> That's the reason I'm not anti-Catholic. You know? <laughs> I'd tell you his name, but I don't have permission to do it. He's just a really sweetheart. It's wonderful, even in the flesh, to receive something completely paid for as a gift. I don't like Christmas much because it's never paid for until I write the check. It's totally different, you know. But when it comes to our salvation, this is the way God has chosen to do it, and there's reason to rejoice. I was trying to think of how I felt about it, you know, and, and uh, 
I couldn't help but I don't know many of these new songs. I don't even like many of them, to be honest with you. But I know every hymn that has ever been popular. Can you believe when I was in Bible college, I actually led singing for revivals? You can't tell me God doesn't have miraculous power. <laughs> yeah. And some of the things that took place, but I really did. Fred, well, I won't go into names and place, but I, that actually happened. I was taken witness it. But if you were to pick a hymn, just one, that more perfectly explains what we've just talked about here for several minutes, what would it be? What I chose was this. You know the hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow as a gift to the people he loves. Lord, bless our gathering this morning. Help us, O oh Lord, to see what wonderful things you have done and purchased and given to us freely. O oh God, help us to get us excited and share that message with people who desperately need to hear it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You've been really good. You're free to go. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.